We are so grateful that you made some time. It really does mean a lot uh, when, you, when you plan a morning service like this. You don't know who will come, uh, being a Christmas day and a family gathering day, but we're glad that you've come. And then some uh, bring families uh, that have gathered, and uh, we all go to church. That's a blessing. There's two types of people, those that have family in town and stay home because of it, or those that have family in town and just go and bring them to church too. Amen? That's a blessing. That's a good thing. Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're going to read the Christmas story in just a minute and make some comments on that, but I do hope that you're in the middle right now of a very Merry Christmas. I know that today is a very busy day, especially for wives and mothers who are cooking and planning and preparing a meal and all those things, but what better place to be today to begin to celebrate this day than God's house? Because we all should agree anyway that uh, we want to celebrate the right thing this season. It infuriates me that Satan has cluttered up almost every Christmas concept that we have. Uh, his desire is to remove the focus from the reason for this celebration uh, to distract us from what this time means. What are the two th biggest things in the Bible we can celebrate? I believe it's the birth of Christ and the resurrection. And for both of these events, these massive events that we want to celebrate, one on Easter, one on Christmas, uh, both are introduced into our traditions then, uh, the world has, persons of fantasy. One is the Easter rabbit, or Easter bunny, sorry, who has somehow gotten his hands on some eggs. Never have figured that one out. On the other hand, we have a fat man in a red suit. There are two billion children in the world today. Santa does not handle Muslim, Hindu, Jewish, or Buddhist children, so that reduces his workload to right around 378 million children. Now, the average rate of, of child, children in a household is 3.5. That leaves him with 91.8 million homes he has to go to in one night. Now, he has 31 hours if you go from east to west. Uh, he, that, this works out to 822.6 visits per second where he has to park the sleigh, jump out, go down the chimney, leave the presents, get back up, uh, and get back on the sleigh, and uh, do that all in, in that short time, and he's still fat. It's amazing, <laughs> isn't it? I was preaching this at Christmas time one time, and I mentioned these facts, and a growing man came up and told me, you understand that he stops time. Thank you very much for that information. Now, I am not a militant Santa hater this morning, but I would like to offer you a few observations for your consideration. And you're not allowed to get mad at me today because it's Christmas, amen? So you all have to be friends uh, on this special day. But there are some striking similarities found between Santa Claus and our Savior. I'd like to point out a few of them this morning, if I could, just an introduction here. Uh, first of all, he's everlasting. When is Santa's birthday? When was he born? When will he die? He doesn't. He's just uh, always has been, always will be. He has the attributes of God if you drop down through them. Number two, where is Jesus from? In Psalm 48, verse 1, the Bible says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Uh, in the mountain, uh, the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation, for joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Where is Santa from? He is from the North Pole. Uh, why not the South Pole? I believe there's maybe a reason for that. Number three, our Savior, 
knows everybody and sees everybody. Uh, in Hebrews 4.13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, talking about the Lord. But that's nothing. I know a fellow who sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. Uh, just has one of the likenesses right there. He's always watching. Here's a big one, number four, minister of righteousness. Now, I think we all understand and agree that Jesus wants us to do right. Jesus wants us to be obedient. Uh, he wants us to be holy. First Peter 1.16, the Bible says, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. He wants us to be righteous. But wait a minute. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we find a very interesting verse. And no marvel, for Satan himself shall be disguised as an angel of light. There is, it, therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers be transformed as ministers of righteousness. This is interesting. That verse tells us that Satan will have his minions demanding righteousness from people. So be good for goodness sake. Anyway, number five, our Savior is prayed to. Matthew 7, 7, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Every year, uh, by the, the verse tells us clearly that Jesus wants to be prayed to. Uh, he asks to be prayed to and us to bring our requests to Him and He will answer those prayers. Every year, many people take their kids to the mall. They stand in a long line. A man sits on the throne and essentially says, let the little children come unto me or something like that. And kids will sit on His lap and let their requests be made known unto Him. Number six, He's coming soon. Uh, tell kids in June, Jesus is coming soon. And they'll say, so what? Tell kids in December that Santa is coming soon and they'll sing songs like, you better watch out, you better not cry. Santa Claus is coming to town. There's excitement there. Sure is quiet in here this morning. Uh, number seven. I was telling somebody this morning, I'm tired of having so many friends. I thought I would just kind of thin the herd today. So, uh, Number seven. God can make... I just... I'm not, I'm not trying to be difficult, but I want you to see something. I'm working up to a point here. God can make animals do strange things. You read in Numbers, he made a donkey talk. You read in Matthew that he sent his disciples to go fishing, had a fish bite on a hook that had previously picked up a coin in his mouth. That's nothing, though. I know a man who can make reindeer fly. And one of these reindeer has a giant red schnoz that works as the headlight for the rest of them. Number eight, he's not bound by time. Second Peter 3, 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. You ever wonder how he, he gets across the whole world in one night giving out presents? As my grown adult friend told me, he stops time. Uh, number nine, the Bible talks about a resurrected body. Now, the, we don't specifically in our tradition have this teaching about Santa Claus, but have you ever tried eating 14 billion cookies, drinking 20 million gallons of milk in one night and still fly? It's a hard thing. There's lots more. Jesus had white hair like wool in Revelation 1.14. Jesus comes in red apparel, Isaiah 63. God says, ho, ho, in Zechariah 2.6. Jesus is the giver of gifts in Ephesians 4.8. I'm not saying these things so that the next time you see a man in a red suit, you hit him with a flying tackle. I'm not saying that at all. But I just want you to be aware, this is no accident. Because Satan wants to, he wants to substitute Christ in your life, and he will do it in many different ways, in many different forms. 
materialism and many other ways. By the way, Antichrist in the Bible is not only, does not only mean against Christ, it really is talking about a Christ replacement. And how does Satan try to replace Christ? Many ways in our society, and I believe that he does this. It's greatly concerning to me that uh, our childhood, and, and I've played this game with my kids as well when they were little, but the Tooth Fairy, the Easter Bunny, Santa Claus, but we get conditioned to reject childhood fantasies. Kind of like this book who later in life we, oh yeah, we understand the manger scene and all that childhood story, but now we're grown and we don't believe in such things anymore. So just some food for thought for you this morning that was all free, no extra charge, and any hate mail can be sent to pastorisright at gmail.com, okay? Um, I want to give you some thoughts this morning, and I won't keep you long, but today we celebrate a man who was a child of a peasant woman. He worked for 30 years in a carpenter shop until he was 30 years old, I should say. Then he started as an itinerant preacher. Never wrote a book. He never held office. He never owned a home. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never traveled more than 200 miles away from the place that he was born. He had no credentials except himself. He was only 33 when public opinion turned against him. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves, and he was buried in a borrowed tomb out of pity. His executioners gambled for the only possessions that he owned. Twenty centuries have come and gone. Today, he is still the central figure of the human race. All the armies that have ever marched, all the kings that have ever reigned, all the dynasties there have ever been, have not affected our mankind, our planet, as much as this one man. I want to read this passage in Luke chapter 2, very well known, but it'll be a, a blessing for us to read this Christmas story on this day. Verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenus was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth, which is uh, unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was. While they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in manger, for there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, watching over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord uh, came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good, uh, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger." I want to preach today for a few minutes on the wonder of His birth. We've been looking all throughout the Christmas season of the wonder of Christmas, and this day we look at the wonder of His birth. Father, we ask You today for these next few minutes to just bless us through Your Word, speak to us in a special way, encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. The video that we saw a few minutes ago reminds us of how we have, if for lack of a better term, airbrushed the birth of Christ, that scene. When Jesus was born, it was more like a messy barn 
than the cute little nativity scenes that we see today and those Christmas cards that we send that has that picture on the front that just has that warm little stable. The You just feel a glow. Some of them even have a glow coming off of it and the uh, animals all housebroken, standing around, just respecting the Christ child as they stand at attention. Th- this was anything but the case. Uh, this was not a clean and sanitary scene. As beautiful as this new birth is, and really any new birth, there's a lot of chaos that goes with it. I have been present for eight births. Am I a hero? I'll let you decide that. But I'm just telling you, I survived eight births. It was very difficult for me every single time. And nobody cared. That was probably the most difficult thing of all. But if you've been in the birthing room, you know that it could be described as a bit chaotic sometimes, a bit messy. You know who was invited into the middle of this chaotic, messy night? The shepherds, local shepherds. Now, it might be natural for any society to look down on its rural counterparts. It's true in America. Can I tell you this morning, I don't mean to burst your bubble, but to the Washington, D.C. elite today, we're not people. We're not people. We are flyover country. That's all we really are. It's not unusual for people to look down on their rural counterparts. And this was the situation for the shepherds. Because the Judean shepherds became known as one of the lowest of the low, vagabonds, outcasts. To be a shepherd was to be considered a very humble person in Judea. They have, may have kind of brought this stigma on themselves because many shepherds were accused of robbery. Um, they often used land they had no right to to graze their crops or their uh, flocks. And they brought this on themselves. In Luke chapter 2, shepherds were by no means the elite or the social elite of that society. At best, they were common, ordinary men. At worst, they were vile, dirty men who were a social, who were social and religious outcasts. They did things like work on the Sabbath. Anybody who farms in here knows that's a seven day a week job, isn't it? And uh, they had to take care of their animals on the Sabbath. And so they were looked down on for that. And they were a necessary part of society. Everyone would agree, but no one would really, none of their fellow Jews would have much to do with them. Yet Christ came to, or the angel came to them to announce Christ to them. And there's a lesson in that for us. If the messy shepherds were invited to the messy stable to see the newborn Messiah, this sort of sets a precedent. Jesus came for those who have messy lives. your, Your imperfect and chaotic life, my friend, does not disqualify you from encountering the Messiah. Uh, He came into a messy situation to redeem messy people. Hebrews 4.15, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. For he was in all points tempted as we are, Without sin, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's interesting how God chose the telling of the greatest story of the whole world in a series of little incidents. Little things. Little people. Little places. Tell the story of Christ coming into the world. You read this account in Luke that we just did and you're impressed by the fact that there's nothing here that would point to any kind of bigness. There's many, no doubt, in that day. We know from history there were many big men, many wealthy Palestine people 
scholars, profound learning, greatest universities. Yet it was not to them that the star appeared. They were the, the angels appeared either. They were not the first to hear those great words, uh, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. The greatest news the world had ever heard up to that point and after was delivered to a bunch of low-life shepherds. What a blessing that is. Great men were passed by, and little men heard the story. The eyes of wealthy nobles, the importance, the elites, the ones who were uh, on the city council of that day, they are, their uh, eyes did not first see the lights that came, that the shepherds saw. The wonder of his birth is that God chose to tell a bunch of nobodies. That's a blessing. One of these elite was not chosen to carry the babe in her womb. It was not a wealthy, learned lady in Palestine that was chosen to carry the Christ child. It was simple Mary, a poor teenage girl of Nazareth. No great man was chosen to lead the home that Jesus would be raised in. Uh, This was left to a humble carpenter. The wonder of his birth is the way that it always has been in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 1.27, But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty. One of the greatest truths of our Bible is that God uses little people to do little things. Hey friend, this encourages me. Because that means God can use me. And that means God can use you. He'll use anyone. Hey, uh, who'd, who'd kill Goliath? It was just David from the backside of a pasture, the desert. Who defeated the Midianites using 300 men? Was it a great uh, military leader of the West Point of that day? No, it was Gideon. Uh, he was from the runt, he was the runt kid of a runt family, of the runt tribe, of a runt nation in the world, and God used him to bring great victory. Who led the Israelites out of bondage toward the promised land? It was a shepherd from the back hills the, uh, that would have been a nobody in the world that day. Who, what did God use to restore sight? Did he dip into the future and pick up some penicillin? No, he used some mud, rubbed it in the eyes of this blind man, and he saw. Uh, who gave uh, food to feed 5,000 men and their families? A little boy with one little simple Lunchable handed it over to Jesus, and Jesus fed all of those. What was it that was given as an object lesson of greatness by Jesus? The disciples were arguing about who was the greatest. What did Jesus do to show who was the greatest? Did he pick some kind of king that day in his palace, or did he maybe... Uh, Excuse me, did he uh, maybe pick a captain of the army of that day? No. Who was chosen to be the greatest of all? He pits a little child in front of them, and he says, this is the greatest in my kingdom, a child. Simple things. It is the wonder of his birth that we find in the Christmas story here, that Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds, it does not read like a hall of fame. God uses common people. Amen. That's you, and that's me. Friend, God wants to use you. Now, you might be here today and say, you don't understand, I'm the least likely to succeed in my family. So was David. You might say today, I can't even talk well. Neither could Moses. You might say today, I'm not well, I'm not healthy. Neither was Timothy. And yet God used him. You might say, I don't have the gifts of the ministry. Neither did the Apostle Peter. What I'm saying today is that God in His Wisdom has chosen to touch the foolish and use the foolish and use nobodies to accomplish great things. That's an exciting thing 
the message of Christmas that we have today. In His power, great things are accomplished. When He looks at you, my friend, He is not looking at what you can't do. He's looking at what He can do through you if we only allow Him to uh, do so. There were numerous palaces of great beauty in Palestine. There were no doubt many nice homes. Uh, yet when the Lord came to the world, uh, He ended up in a manger in Bethlehem. I read this story this week. A church was putting on a Christmas pageant. It included the story of Mary and Joseph coming to the inn and asking for a room. One boy wanted so badly to be Joseph, and that's what he asked to be, and that's what he tried out for in this play, but he was assigned to be the innkeeper instead. And he was really upset about this, but he didn't say anything to the director. He just kind of stewed about it. And during the rehearsals, he started to think, how could I get one over on the guy who's playing Joseph, the part I wanted? So he got this scheme that he was going to embarrass Joseph when the time came. And finally the pageant night arrived and Mary and Joseph uh, during the play came walking across the stage and they knocked on the door of the inn and he opened the door, asked them gruffly, what do you want? Joseph, uh, the guy playing Joseph, says, well, we'd like to have a room for the night. Now the innkeeper had been putting this all together in his mind, the, the kid playing the innkeeper. And so he throws open the door says, come on in, I'll give you the best room in the house. Well, you can imagine the director freezes, Joseph freezes, something's wrong here. And so thinking, uh, he didn't know first what to do, but he thought quickly on his feet. He looks in the door, past the innkeeper, looks around and says, no wife of mine's going to live in a dump like this. Come on, Mary, let's go to the barn. I don't know how it happened, but at any rate, that's where they ended up. They ended up in a barn. The Last Supper was held in a borrowed room. 5,000 people were fed on a simple hillside. King David was found in a field. Many of the epistles of Paul that we still read and live by today were written in a dungeon. When God looks for greatness, He doesn't go to the palaces of Egypt. He goes to the bulrushes of the Nile. It is the wonder of His birth that shows us what God values. And it is you and it is me. The greatest gift of God to mankind is wrapped in surprising simplicity. It is what we celebrate today and we praise God for the wonder of His birth. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been entertainment, God would have sent a, an, or a pleasure. God would have sent an entertainer. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God could have sent an economist. But our greatest need was forgiveness, and that's why God sent a Savior on that night. That is what we celebrate today. As the next few weeks come and go, Christmas will fade in the background. Decorations will come down, and we'll stop singing Christmas carols. But that's actually really all wrong in our spirits. When the song of the angels are stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, that's when the real work of Christmas begins. To feed the, uh, find the lost, heal the broken, feed the hungry, help the oppressed, rebuild broken lives to bring the peace of God to others. Let us not lose the spirit of this time, even though we'll move beyond the celebration of it. 
Let us continue to celebrate what Christmas really means and the simplicity of the Christmas story. That God came and He announced it and He used all throughout, all the players in this play are simple people, common people. I read something the other day that made me chuckle. 95% of people think they're above average. Now think about that. Only, you can't be, 50% of people can't be above average. Only 49% of people are above average, if you understand percentages. Yet 95% of people think they're above average. It's not so. Do you think you're above average today? you got a half chance of being wrong on that, okay? Uh, I'm simply saying today, we're, we're average people. That's who God came for. That's who He announced His birth to. That's who He used in the Christmas story. And all through His life, that's who He ministered to. That's who He preached to. That's who He went after. The elite of the day wanted nothing to do with them, with Him. And yet, He just spent all His time reaching people like you and me. If you're here today and you don't know Him as your personal Savior, hey, don't let... What, what better day to accept Christ as your Savior than Christmas Day? The day we celebrate is His birthday. Now we understand and we know Jesus probably wasn't born on December 25th, but that's the day we're using to celebrate it. And what better time it would be to, to accept Him as your Savior. Let us today revel in the wonder of His birth. When you open presents later, maybe, if you haven't done so yet, remember the greatest gift given to us so many years ago, the gift of a Savior. And it was given to simple people in a lowly place, at a low, lonely time. And then it was announced to lowly people, outcasts. And then the star appeared to people who weren't even the right nationality, the right religion. And they came and celebrated with Him. I'm telling you today, the message of Christmas today is that He is for everyone, including you. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. <coughs> going to have her come to the piano this morning, and I don't know how God spoke to your heart today, dear friend, but if you're here today and you don't know Christ is your Savior, if you don't know <clears throat> for sure, for sure, that if something happened to you today, you'd be in heaven, would you come and settle that even today? Would you stand along with me, heads bowed, eyes closed, as she begins to play? We just want to give an opportunity.